incomparable. Number 323, October 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk about a classic film. I've had this on my list for more than a year now. Um, I really wanted to talk about The Godfather from 1972, winner of Best Picture, uh, considered by many one of the finest motion pictures ever made. I really like it a lot, and I wanted to talk about it with some interesting people. Let me introduce those people to you now. Uh, from uh, the heartland, from Indiana, it's Mr. David J. Lohr. Hello there. Someday, and this day may never come. Oh, never mind. Not in Italian. Also joining us, Joe Rosensteel. Hello. Hi. Not a full-blooded <laughs> Italian. No. Um, <laughs> coming back for the first time in 315 weeks, but it's like it was yesterday, Mr. John Gruber. Hello. Welcome back. Hello. Good to have you here. I don't have a, I don't have a joke. <laughs> I had you on my list for The Godfather. Wanted to talk talk with you about The Godfather. Not an Italian, per se, but I'm glad you're here. And yes, full-blooded Italian. Finally, there's one. It's John Syracuse. Hello. I'm more than happy to bring my olive oil, olive oil voice and guinea charm to this podcast. Mm. <laughs> Even if I can't say olive oil voice, because it's very difficult to say. It is. We're getting out of the olive oil business. I, I Before we get started, because I traditionally what I'll do is I'll walk through the, the plot and people can chime in with the things that they like and, and don't like about it. But I, I, before we get going to talking about what happens in The Godfather, I wonder if there's anything that, um, that uh, if anybody has any opening statements per se about, uh, about, what, uh, about this film that we watched, this uh, three hour long epic about organized crime in America. In uh, right after the war, I have a statement about the opening, but I don't have an opening statement. So if anyone has an opening statement, they okay. should go first, and then I can do my <laughs> statement about the opening. <laughs> I'll just say I think I'm pretty good on this, but there's a chance that I might make a mistake and attribute to the Godfather certain scenes from the Godfather too, simply because. Yeah. And here's why: twofold. Uh, I believe that it is the greatest, like uh, quote unquote, sequel to a movie ever made Absolutely. because the Godfather feels like a standalone movie and combined they feel like two parts of a whole and then uh, mess that up with like the coppola restorations where where you you can watch it all edited chronologically mm -hmm. and right i'm pretty sure i know what's the godfather and what's the godfather too but there's a ch there's a chance i might start start talking about las vegas or something and you'll have to correct me the, the very first time i saw it was in like 1983 or 84 when nbc brought the Godfather's Saga yeah. to television, and they did exactly that. It was in chronological order, and it was lovely. And it wasn't until a few years later when it came out on on DVD, and I sat down and just watched them properly, and I went, "Okay, that version was really good. This is a masterpiece." Each each of the two movies separately. Yeah, first time I saw it was the complete epic. I believe is what it was called on VHS. The, the complete novel, and it was uh, it was great. But that ha and I think the movies probably, you know, they, they work better as two excellent movies instead of this giant thing, um, because you get the, the benefit of hindsight when you get to see what happens in part two, uh, knowing what happens in part one. And you don't get that when Robert De Niro appears for the first long part of the movie before we get to see Marlon Brando. Uh, but uh, it has messed up my conception of it, too, where every time I watch The Godfather, I think to myself, is that in this movie or is that in part two? And I have to remind myself, oh, you know. Mo Green is in part one, but uh, Fredo <laughs> in the boat is not in part one. So it's, uh, it's complicated. Right. It's not just you, John. You know which uh, Godfather movie no one's going to get confused with uh, uh, these ones? Yeah. 
my oh, yeah. I didn't even trembling it. now. Uh, uh, John Syracuse, do you have a statement about the opening of the movie, the very beginning? I believe in America. I believe yeah, is how I it do. Starts. I do, but actually, before I get onto that, I'm, I did get exposed, unfortunately, at a young age to the terrible chopped up U.S. version of Nausicaa, which is called Warriors of the Wind or something. But I'm glad to say that I was never exposed to any of these chronological recuttings of The Godfather. <laughs> I saw the first movie and I saw mm-hmm. the second movie, and I didn't even know these recut things existed until many many years later i've never watched one i can see how they would work and it would be fun and kind of like a cool remixy type thing but i like them as two movies yeah i think i think it's worthy it's a it's a fun thing to watch as long as you keep in mind that that's not that's not the movie. You know, that's not the work. That's the special. That's like the trade, the the big uh, oversized library edition where they, where the author has you know bundled two of their books together. It's like yeah, it's, it's a weird. It's more like a fan edit because like they don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what they do with the audio and everything and the soundtracking. I know that it's, there's kind of a sameness to them, but it just they're just two different movies, and I don't yeah. see how you can cut scenes of them together and not have it end up looking like a fan edit, which is again a fun thing to look at after you've seen the movies proper. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Definitely watch The Godfather. So, opening statement about the opening? Yeah, statement about the opening. So, I've never taken a film class or anything, but I would imagine The Godfather is a great thing to watch for a film class because it's one of the few sort of great movies, you know, these movies that are always in like the top 10 and like you said, are are, are lauded as one of the best, uh, you know, Hollywood movies ever made that comes right out in the very first scene in the movie and tells you like for your paper later the themes of the movie not in subtext but by actually having a person talk to you mm-hmm. the first line of the movie when the screen is black there are no pictures on the screen to distract you to say okay class get out your pads and paper ready i believe in america that's an important enough line that we're going to say it with nobody on the screen so you can write it down all right i believe in america and he goes through the whole thing of like you know i raised my daughter the why did you come to me why didn't you go to the police but they just lay it out for you on the table and yet I think if you asked the majority of the the world who has seen this movie, what are the themes of The Godfather, they won't be able to tell you. And it's so funny because this is like one of the few sort of high art, fancy, highfalutin movies that everybody loves that just comes out and tells you. So I love this opening scene for its sort of like subtle trolling (laughs) of of the public and, uh, and its sort of pandering to film students and making it just such a perfect object lesson in that it hits you over the head with it, but you're just so wrapped up in the movie that you don't even see it most of the time. Yeah, it's 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 laying it all out for you in that first scene. It's a breathtaking first scene where we got we've got the guy who is his uh, his uh, daughter has been what what is she, has she been was she is she assaulted was she raped I, f- I forget exactly what it was she was beaten because she had refused them. yeah she um, she kept yeah. her honor come on she kept her honor but was beaten and will never be pretty again he says and they broke her nose and all of those things right. And he's he's asking for for revenge, and he wants the Godfather to have his guys kill the people who did this, and and it's this the the transaction is really fascinating because he's like, first off, you know, you're kind of ashamed to be around me. You never you don't you don't call me Godfather. You you you, do, you went to the police and not to me, and uh, and also about uh, you know killing them versus uh, dispensing some sort of justice, and the whole the whole conversation of what it is to swear the oath of fealty to 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 kiss the ring of the godfather and call him godfather it's all laid out uh in this in this first scene it's really pretty amazing while the while the like the wedding party is happening behind them the cinematography of this also 
it lets you know you're in for something a little bit different than most 1970s period pieces. Because uh, we, we start in from Black, uh, like John said, right on uh, uh, this with this character talking just slightly off of the camera lens, and we pull back slowly over the sh- shoulder of a shadowy figure. And that's basically all you can see, because there's so little light in the scene. Yeah. Uh, and even when he comes over to tell the Godfather what it is that he wants, he gets up and walks over and whispers completely out of focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we cut away to uh, uh, some of the other framing. We barely see uh, Brando's eyes. This is a, a shadowy, dark place, and it's contrasted uh, with the bright, exuberant exterior shots of of the wedding that are taking right. place outside. So it, it's it's just it really lets you know you're not in for uh, uh, some, something more run of the mill like this is this is there's there's definitely thought put into the the staging the the intensity with which things are uh lit and exposed for like on film it's it's beautiful yeah and they really push the darkness like this is the thing that every modern tv show does and i assume for some technical reason that i don't understand that it's way easier to do in digital or whatever but uh for the most part in the era that this was made you either couldn't or wouldn't make things as incredibly oppressively dark as the in, inside scenes of this movie are. And I think the wedding scenes are all blown out, um, probably intentionally, just for mm-hmm. the incredible contrast. And that that always struck me about this movie, that, like, the, again, hitting you over the head, here's the dark underbelly, and here's the bright outside with the family. You know, it's <laughs> it's not subtle, but it's it's so well done. And to this day, I feel like maybe it's just the incredible film grain on this thing, you know, like, but like the dark interiors, yes, everything is dark and black and everything is like pure black except for the part that's lit, but the black has texture to it. It's like the black is like, uh, like sandpaper or like the, the film grain is on the black. And when I, when I think of this movie in my head, this is one of the few movies when I think of in my head, I see film grain. Like, if anyone wonders, like, what is film grain? Just watch The Godfather. Just watch The Godfather. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, you, you have to remember at the time, Coppola was not. Uh, a big giant filmmaker. He was he was still an experimental sort of independent guy that came in and did this. So so he's trying stuff. He's doing things you wouldn't normally do. You know, it's like the big names would not do in this film, which is fascinating to watch. Um, and I you know I was I was kidding in the introductions, but one of my favorite lines in the movie is someday and this day may never come. I will call upon you to do a service mm. for me. And that is that says everything about Don Corleone and and the code of honor and how he expects everyone to be if they ask him to help them, they'd better help him later. And that ties. I mean, it's just good, good movie making. The way that ends up tying yes. in in a tragic way later mm-hmm. in the movie, because like at that point, you I don't know if you don't know what he does, but it's certainly not important. And when they <laughs> they connect that back later in such a tragic right. fashion, it's. Uh, it's all the more better than, uh, you know, a, a worse way would do it would be to say, I oh, will call on you for a favor. And later in the movie, have him call on his favor and have it be like either unrelated or as a tool of his victory over his his foes or whatever. But instead, it's entirely tragic circumstances. And you realize like like he pitches it as I'll become your friend, you know, and, and then your enemies will be my enemies and then they'll fear you and all this stuff. But it's supposed to be like, why don't you come to me as a friend? You know, like like he's acting almost like and. He's acting almost like he's hurt, but not in a sinister way. You kind of get the idea that he does want these friendships. That the Godfather is all about is all about personal relationships, yeah. right? Like yep. that he really, really, truly means it. It's not just a sinister plot to put people under his thumb. That he really wants these relationships, and that he is, you know, that again, that, why raise your daughter in the American fashion, going to the police, uh, and the Godfather, you know, doesn't is the the opposite of the American dream, and that's the American dream to live in a civilized society and a rule of law. 
I represent not that. And when you mm-hmm. don't come to me and when you're ashamed to be seen with me, I take that as a personal insult. That's And that's like the, the, the transaction here is almost about hurt feelings more than like a power struggle or I'm going to I'm going to call on this favor that's going to hurt you later. Like this favor is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, but it will still be important because that's our relationship. Because it's it's not it's not a loose affiliation of people. It's the family. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. what society do you want to live in? Are you living in American society or are you living inside the family and our society that we've built? And and if you go to the police, you're not in our family. Yeah. And that's, by the way, the, the, the American society, the American dream for Italian immigrants it doesn't work. You are learning, you know, the Godfather's there just waiting. You'll see. You'll see that it doesn't work. You'll have to come to me because if you try to go to the police, it won't work. Like for Italians, there is no American dream. Later, we'll shoot a guy in the head in front of the Statue of Liberty and you'll see that. But later <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> you mentioned uh, someday I'll call upon you to do a service for me. Um, the, also, you know, you come into my house on the day of my daughter's wedding. This is a movie yep. I, I, I'm struck when I watch it. This, this is... You know, a lot of movies are quotable, sci-fi movies are quotable, comedies are quotable, but The Godfather is, I had forgotten just how many lines in this movie are (laughs) classic, quotable, repeated in, in the, in the lexicon, in, in, in the vernacular of, of, uh, everybody of 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 people who don't even know they're quoting the Godfather, and it is rife with these things that we say all the time. It's amazing. I've I've had to explain "Leave the gun, take the cannoli" because my wife has never seen the Godfather, <laughs> but we use that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Anytime I've got cannoli, it's going to happen. That's just how it is. So we've got the we've got the dark scenes with the Godfather, and we've got the very bright scenes. It's very much like you're walking outside from a darkened room and uh, into the light, and that that got kind of blown out uh, outside the house. But you also get the sense that the Godfather, you know, he's it's his daughter's wedding, but he's doing business inside. It's a family day. It's a very serious day, and yet everybody, you know, he's still conducting his business while this is all going on. And it's an obligation and a burden. Like, he's there like, oh, I got one more. Like, it's not like he's there like, again, you know, stroking his cat although he does have a cat, uh, and being super evil about it. It's exhausting to have person after person come in and demand things of him because of this tradition or whatever. And he would like to just get out to the wedding that he would like to enjoy, but he's doing this because this is basically his job. And when he very briefly goes out uh, to take that photo and Michael isn't there, he just goes back to doing business until michael arrives yeah that, i mean this is obviously this is you know an easy way to set up everybody and all the characters have a wedding where all your characters are together and then you can cut back and forth it establishes all the characters it establishes their relationships it establishes michael as the favorite it establishes sunny as a hothead like just so efficient in terms of like you mostly you think you're just watching a wedding and these these silly scenes they're doing outside there but you get to know every single character for their three seconds there on camera and the wedding is a good excuse to give these little vignettes without having to have like a through line. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do it if these were all in separate locations because what would be their motivation to interact with each other? Whereas now cutting back and forth, it feels natural because you're like, I'm not going to see the whole wedding, but I'm going to see scenes from a wedding. And in each of the scenes from the wedding, I'm going to learn who the major players are and what they're like in very short order. And there are a lot of characters to this movie. There's like a three hour movie and there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of moving Mm -hmm. pieces. This is like in the beginning, we're just going to set the table. Here's the themes of the movie. Here's all the characters involved in the movie. Here's what they're like. And then they can move forward at what is actually a much more leisurely pace after that without throwing a thousand characters at you at once. They, they get that all out of the way in the beginning and then move on to slowly doling out a series of slow scenes where people talk to each other. I think it ties in the opening scene, really, the, the 70s crop of filmmakers, maybe Scorsese a little bit aside, but Coppola for sure. 
uh, George Lucas for sure, Steven Spielberg for sure. Uh, what's his name? The guy who uh, who did Carrie and uh, oh, De Palma, De Palma, De Palma for sure. The, this crop of filmmakers, they loved movies, and I think it was the first. To me, it's the first generation of filmmakers who already loved movies, whereas like the generation before kind of had to invent what movies were. And because they loved movies, they they all of those guys I listed took movies that were in these genres that that had all these tropes and and, you know, oh, here's how you do a gangster movie. Here's how you do a Western um, that made them all feel the same. And they they like turned them upside down and and tried to make them for lack of a better word real like what you know and the godfather's not realistic but in a sense there's like a a it doesn't feel like anything like like the way like James Cagney era gangster movies are, and the opening really sets the tone well, for that. They got Italians to play Italians, like that's the reality. Is they, <laughs> right. the seventies movies, like they said, look, we're going to make it authentic, so get a bunch of Italian people to play, but even if they're not great actors, even if you don't know them from other movies, as opposed to the old Hollywood, which was we have a crop of stars. And they can do anything. They can be a gangster in one movie. They can be a detective. They can be a singer. They can be, you know, because they're they have all these talents, and we don't care who they are. We're just going to put them in any role we feel like putting them in. Whereas, at the seventies movies, you're going to have a gangster movie filled with Italians. We're going to get all the extras are going to be Italian Americans, and our actors are going to be Italian or Italian looking, which is very different from the old style, which would always seem to look like like a bunch of your high school friends got together and decided to put on a play because it's like you expect to see your favorite actors in all these roles, even if they're not really great for the role. See, I'm perfectly plausible as an Italian. Yeah, see? (laughs) I mean, Johnny Dangerously nails that, too. Yeah, that's a good example of of sort of playing playing up the tropes of a of a traditional gangster movie. And so the whole opening scene there. So there it's it is, you know, it's the gritty business of being the godfather in the dark room and it's just a happy italian family outside at the wedding but there nothing is played up for uh, over the top you know there's nothing really sinister nobody gets threatened i mean they are talking about beating up a guy who beat up the guy's girl but it's it's not like they're they're a big caper is going on or anything it's it's almost mundane and the the wedding there's no uh it's not like oh these these awful uh, mob family wives are you know what terrible people they are no it's just a happy italian family yeah and this is where we get i it's funny you talk about the the romance of it a little bit i i, I think about uh, what what separates the godfather for something like goodfellas and for me it's the it's the family aspect of it a little bit and it's the fact that this is playing at a little higher level the 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 goodfellas is is the low level guys and so that's like the the brutality not like there's brutality there's brutality aplenty in the godfather but it's the the people on the ground is where the brutality is and so a movie like goodfellas I, I, which I love, but it's very violent, and I, I, it wants you to feel, I think, disgusted by the 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 sudden violence that happens in that movie. The Godfather, it's it's there's violence there but because it's a little higher level and it's a little more strategic it's the people in charge the violence is more um a means to an end there's a little more understanding it's a little bit less uh at the center of the movie than than something like goodfellas uh and i I was struck that it's not it's not super hazy romantic like we're we're gangsters but nothing bad happens i mean talk to luca brasi about that but it's it's but it's got a very different kind of feel uh in terms of who these that it's the gangster family and it's a family story in a way that goodfellas is not because they're the low-level guys who have to do all the dirty work 
Well, they're stake they're stakeholders in this. Like the reason everybody in this, the main characters movie, are doing something is because they are the ultimate stakeholders. They are yeah. the Corleone family. Mm-hmm. Like, and so their motivation is do what's best for the family. Whereas in Goodfellas, your motivation is I'm not the ultimate stakeholder in this organized crime family. I'm looking out for myself. How much money can I make? How much, you know, what kind of heist can I pull off or whatever? And they're motivated in Goodfellas by probably more realistic motivations in terms of what happened in my childhood that made me a violent person? What issues do I have to work out that I express by beating on people who are smaller than me? Uh, You know, and how does that affect my ability to advance within the organization slash become a made man? Right. That you're right. It is a lower level. But like in this movie, the motivations are I'm not going to say more more noble, but it's just because this, they are the ultimate stakeholders in the top level of this game. And so they are they're motivated by strong motivation, just like the people in Goodfellas, but they have much more to gain and much more to lose. And they can't they can't afford to and generally uh, don't succeed by indulging their personal impulses. Uh, just ask Sonny. Well, and it's it's also kind of the inverse of Goodfellas too, right? The main character in Goodfellas is someone who is who wants to be parted. He's striving. He's trying to get ahead, and he becomes disillusioned by the end. And not an Italian turd, not yeah. an Italian. <laughs> and and in this, you know, I mean, Michael isn't. I mean, I, I would call him the protagonist because we kind of follow him. Yeah. So would Al Pacino. <laughs> and so would Al Pacino. Hey. You know, uh, who, is someone arguing that? Do you, someone arguing that uh, that Marlon Brando is the protagonist? No, the, no, the, story, the story is that is that uh, Al Pacino got bent out of shape because he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Marlon oh, Brando yeah. got nominated oh, for Best know. Actor. And yeah. Al Pacino didn't appreciate that very much. And Brando yeah. won. And but but, you know, Michael being the protagonist, um, he starts out not wanting to be involved and he, he finds himself slowly pulling back in. Because of the family tie, he doesn't have a choice because he has to defend the family and he has to step up eventually. I don't think it's just the has to. Well, you know, it's the stories about kings who were princes. They were the second line and they weren't going to be the king. And then the the older brother dies and suddenly they're thrust into it. And I mean, all of that is going on in here. He was meant to be Senator Corleone, right? He was meant to yeah. meant for a different <laughs> path. And he ends up not going down that path. And not only is, he, is Michael the main character, Michael is the title character, right? This this is a movie about him becoming the Godfather more than it yes. is about about uh, Marlon Brando being the Godfather. Yeah. It's about this transfer. That's That's the trick that the title plays on you is you think it's about Marlon Brando and you very slowly begin to realize, no, no, this is about Al Pacino becoming the Godfather. And that's why the sequel is called The Godfather 2, T-O-O. <laughs> so I've said this on all of, past, uh, all of our past Star Wars podcasts, but I'll say it again on the Godfather one as well. Like every time I think of the Star Wars prequels, I think of this movie as, as what they should have been modeled on because this is not the only, but I think the best movie that shows how a good person can end up, especially by the end of Godfather Part Two, end up in a bad place through a series of things that both he and the audience watching the movie believes are the right thing to do, which is an incredibly hard thing to pull off. Many movies have the downfall of a character, but at a certain point, the audience starts to agree, all right, guy, what you're doing here is wrong. And Michael didn't want to be involved in his family. That's my family, Kay. That's not me, right? Yeah. And it's not it's not as if he had to because of that family obligation. Here's the problem. He's kind of like, and we don't know how this ends, but he's kind of like, uh, what's his name in Game of Thrones, where the the... The gifts of strategy and determination and, you know, uh, wisdom that Marlon Brando's character has obviously skipped Sonny <laughs> and went to Michael. <laughs> that he has the raw skills in the same way that Tyrion Lannister. He's Tyrion, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tyrion has the same raw skills as Tywin. 
And right. And so Michael doesn't want to be involved in that. Um, but when the time comes, he doesn't feel like, oh, I have to go save my family. He eventually and very quickly realizes I am the best equipped yeah. to save my family. I am yeah. the I yeah. have my father's skills and and he you know he's he's emotional, he's angry, he loves his family, he wants to do those things. But but you know, we're not gonna go into the Godfather part two. But eventually he realized like this is my core skill set. I am I was born <laughs> to be a godfather and everything I'm doing is I'm protecting my father, I'm protecting my family, and and I'm eventually just like, am I protecting my family or am I just trying to win? Or you know, like through two movies, Michael Corleone with us rooting for him essentially the whole time, right up until maybe a fishing trip happens. Uh, <laughs> saying, like he's, he's trying to do the right thing and we want him to win. And it's just through a series of those small steps by the end of it, he's Darth Vader. Uh, and that's what the prequels could never do. There's a breathtaking moment later in this movie. We'll jump around a little bit, but uh, breathtaking moment is when they're trying to figure out how to uh, kill the, the, you know, the cop, and the uh, and and the the guy who's behind this, S- which Salazzo. is Salazzo, uh the Turk, and uh, and Michael just says, uh, "Here's what here's what we're gonna do. I'll have you know I'll have dinner with him, and and you know you get me a gun, and I'll kill him. Just like that's it's like wow, there's okay. Uh, and they that's show it. him working that out. They show him sitting mm-hmm. in the chair like silently, and you can like you can see the gears turning. He's yeah. working it out. He's this he's realizing well, these guys are all talking. They don't know what to do. Eventually, he's like, you know what? I know what to do. And then he's got to think about, but wait, am I going to do that? And eventually he's got to say, look, it's got to be me. This is the solution to the problem. Do this, do this, do this. And, and he's not good at it. It's not like he, we'll get to that scene eventually. It's mm-hmm. not like he's a super expert, you know, from, but he knows what to do. Yeah. Let's talk about the uh, the uh, the family here. Since we're at the wedding, I feel like this is maybe a good time to talk about the family. We get, obviously, Mike, Michael is there. Uh, he comes in his uniform to the wedding. Uh, there, there's our Al Pacino. Diane Keaton is there as Kay, his girlfriend. Uh, we, not we an have, Italian. Not an Italian. We have Tom, <laughs> Tom Hagen, who's Robert Duvall. He's there, Italian. too. Uh, who else is there? Talia Shire is there as Connie. Carlo Rizzo's there, but we're not introduced to him yet. Right. Uh, Sonny, uh, uh, James Kahn. So it, it's what a, an amazing cast here. But we get to meet all of the all the characters. And, and it, do we meet, is Fredo, do we see Fredo here? I don't. Yeah, I guess he's we, drunk at the wedding. He's drunk yeah, at the he, wedding. He comes up yeah. and gets too yeah. close to Kay to go in for the kiss. He, oh, yeah, that's he, right. He establishes <laughs> himself as, uh, you know, not, not all together, not, not a put together kind of guy. Tessio. Tessio is there, right? Tessio yeah. is there. Clemenza's dancing. Clemenza. The, you know, Michael's mom is there uh, at the wedding. Uh, everybody's there. Johnny Fontaine. Luca Brasi is there. He yeah. is a in a, no, in, a in a really truly hilarious and weird scene where he insists <laughs> he insists on seeing the Godfather and 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 uh, Marlon Brando very much is like it's a great little moment of like do I really need to see him? And they're like, yeah, you need to see him. He's like, all right. Yeah, okay. He just wants to say thank you. Like that's it. He yeah. doesn't, he's, he's not asking he's for sat in line to say thank you. Cause he didn't get, expect to get invited to the wedding. And that's such a fascinating thing. Cause he's this big lug and he is completely unable to even sort of express. He, he's, he's reading rehearsed. He's, we he's see him no rehearsing cards. his words. It's amazing. And it's hilarious and weird. And I don't know, in, in, a, in a movie, it was a tone. I don't know. I didn't expect it, how funny it was. I, I had forgotten how funny it is that uh, Luca Brasse is so beside himself meeting, uh, meeting the Godfather. It's amazing. And may your first child be a masculine child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he's a useful tool, right? Luca Brasse is there to be a, you know, to be a thug. That's, but he's very loyal. It's a, 
it's a fascinating character. And we we get a story about him at the same time, by the way. That's what the story Michael tells Kay about, like, you know, how did he get out of his deal or whatever? You know, uh, Luca Brasi held a gun to his head and, you know, said your signature, your brains are going to be on that contract. That's yeah. we're getting that story mm-hmm. more or less in the same section of the movie as he's this sort of sweet, bumbling guy yeah. who wants to say thank you. So you see you see the crossover there between these two worlds. That guy is the guy who was threatening to do that. But that's my family, um, Kay. That's not me. It's fine. Yeah. And, and that's why that's why the way Michael tells that story was such incredible disdain at the end of it he goes that's a true story like you can tell he is not proud of that story and he's not saying it to impress his girlfriend it's like you want to know what the deal is this is what the deal is and she's like Ugh. and he's like Ugh, too but he's being upfront yeah. about it also that piece of exposition not only sets up that for luca Brazzi, but we also get the backstory about what happened to people who have crossed johnny fontaine in the the past uh because that gets referenced again when we we move on later through the film yeah and I heard about uh, that band leader <laughs> is this the point where johnny fontaine asks the, the yeah he's he's one of yeah. the people who comes in and says i, oh, I gotta get in this movie i want to be in the movie won't. and he yeah. cries and he gets uh he gets chastised for, he gets slapped around <laughs> he does be a man so you can act like a man <laughs> and then the godfather <laughs> imitates him crying Toxic masculinity of the movie. Yep. <laughs> what was the seventies? It was different then. Sonny is um busy. <laughs> my note my notes just says Sonny is banging a girl. That's what's happening. <laughs> Meanwhile, nearby, Sonny is being Sonny. Welcome. This is Sonny Corleone. He just, pinches her cheek, which is his, his main pickup move, is yeah. cheek pinching. Uh, this is an unfortunate angle, though, of course, of uh his his wife turning around and seeing that he is absent from the table. <laughs> And then she just turns around and acts like uh, everything's normal. Uh, she she unfortunately has to do that a couple times in the film. And so. is that everything that happens at the wedding? I mean, this is this is, it's a huge download. I wrote down it's like twenty. It's like almost thirty minutes is the wedding. It's a it's a long stretch of the film is is the wedding and meeting all the characters and how they relate to each other and what what you know what we need to know about them there's a whole it's just incredible you are you are given time to understand who is who in this complex italian family um before we move on to other you know to la basically and and the film spans 10 years so taking 30 minutes for a one day is kind of amazing it's a very important day uh, yeah. uh, you also have the establishment of how the rest of the world views this family that we're watching because you have the paparazzi outside and the, F- and and the FBI. The, <laughs> right. And the people like, writing down license plate numbers and then Sonny goes out, smashes the guy camera, throws bills on the ground and yeah. walks away, which is a classic move that has also been copied in so many movies. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a hothead, seems like. Hope that doesn't get the better of him. <laughs> oh, surely not. No, no, no definitely no. not. So if we leave the wedding, we we uh, end up uh, uh, in California. Tom, yeah, Tom Hagen goes out to L.A. to d- get basically get this part in the movie for Johnny Fontaine, um, and is uh, told lots of uh, lots of uh, uh, bad things. Even though <laughs> even though it's great, uh, Robert Duvall, I admire your pictures very much. It's a great. Just a great line. No, it's, it's when he meets him before he knows he's part of the Corleone family. Uh-huh. It's like these, these, you know, he goes through this series of Italian slurs and he's like, actually, I'm German Irish. Well, let me tell you something, my Kraut Mick friend. He's, <laughs> yeah, like, know, the, right? he's ready, with the, he's ready with, the, with the ethnic slurs for any set of nationalities. I got all the slurs. You just, just say. And then it's like almost like smash cut to apologetic. Oh, why didn't you say Don Corleone yeah, sent yeah. you? <laughs> oh, 
but uh, but he says, I'm not going to give him the part. He ruined my starlet. Uh, and they're like, you know, uh, okay, well, Don Corleone doesn't appreciate people saying no. And uh, but but hey, let me show you this great horse I have in my stable. That's an important it's <laughs> an, an important part. And at this point, Lauren turned to me and was like, wow, the horse head in the bed is this early. I'm like, yes, it's yeah. this early. <laughs> it's like, you again, a piece of pop culture. Um, that is known by all, even if they've not seen this movie, the, uh, the scene where he wakes up and he, you know, he's just kind of rolling around and then he realizes there's something feels kind of funny. And then it's like, it's blood something and a little there's, wet. there's more blood and there's more blood. And it's nice of them to put the horse head like down, like down by his feet. So he has to like search around a little bit before he gets the, the head of his, his prize racehorse that he's putting out to stud. And, uh, Johnny Fontaine gets the part uh, after that. <laughs> the kid stays in the picture. It's the framing of that shot, too, uh, where oh, yeah. we don't know if the punishment for refusing this favor is maybe he died or something, because uh, the camera's just moving slowly over a bed, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not until we start to see some movement that's like, okay, well, he's not dead. And then we see just a little bit of the blood as the camera rounds up over his shoulder, and then we pull down... Uh, the sheets and slowly go through all of the blood until we finally get to that horse head. So it's a, it's a great way to shoot that. And then of course the reaction shot where uh, you're just seeing the, the enormous Hollywood uh, villa that he has yeah. and just shouting it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's really a, a nicely put together uh, piece of film. It's pretty amazing. It, it, Tom Hagen's character. I mean, there's a bunch of great, I mean, how can you sound stupid but there's a bunch of great characters in this movie but tom hagan's character is so unusual for this genre of film because he's he's just a smart businessman that's you know a smart attorney and he acts like a smart attorney and he's confident and he knows he knows as he's dealing with this guy the entire time he knows he's going to get what he wants because ultimately he could take it to that level that he eventually goes to but he's not threatening the guy at first he's being he's bending over backwards to 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 let this to get this guy to make the right decision you know like it, and there's no you know i don't think i think hagen would have loved it if this guy could have just been uh, okay yes i'll give him the part and then hagen would have been that's great and he would have been very nice but it's so unusual for this genre of film he's is a guy tom hagen doesn't even carry a gun he's not there to threaten the guy it's so unusual it's a great character too because so he's not italian he was adopted basically he uh, he's a lawyer, so he's the family lawyer. He's a consigliere, but not not a wartime consigliere. And they get a full blooded Italian. And how well does that go uh, to do that to do that job? And it's fascinating because he's in the family, close, and yet he's also sort of not of the family. And the 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 things he's good at are different from the things that other people are good at. He's almost like the ambassador to the outside world, to the respectable exactly. society. Mm. So the Italians aren't respectable. He can he can pass in regular society. Yeah, the, and he's the German got, Irish. Right? Yeah, and he can navigate like the, the laws of, of of the of the legal society, and he can he can be that for them. But that also means he's an outsider to a certain degree. Even as insider as he is, he's not full blooded Italian. He's not actually part of the family, even though he might as well be because he was raised with them. But his loyalty is unwavering. That's another nice thing. Exactly. It's like, oh, because I'm not part of the family, I feel on the outside and I have a resentment. Nope. He's 100% loyal all the time. He's willing to do. I mean, he's going to say, why am I out? Am I out, Mike? Like, it's just, but still, he is loyal to the end forever. Yeah. And he knows. He knows what's going on. I mean, he, he, 
you get the sense at, at times that he he has pretty much all the answers. Like he knows what's what's up. And sometimes it takes some other people a little bit of time to get there. But Tom Hagen, I think, he's super sharp. He knows what's going on, and he's and he's loyal. And and uh, you know, and he's aware. The other thing is, I think there would be a cliche way of doing this character where he's a little bit naive, and um, Tom Hagen is not naive like he he's well aware of the consequences of the of the producer turning him down he's absolutely perfectly aware and he's very and he's cool he's a cool character like while you know they're having that dinner and he's all like oh why didn't you tell me that you were from uh, the corleone blah 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 and he's all being nice and they're schmoozing or whatever and as you know as he eventually gets to the heart of it why won't you give johnny this part and he starts telling the story and he gets more angry and more angry eventually Mm. gets up out of waltz gets up out of his seat and he walks over to him and he's looming over him and he's like just to tell you i'm not a hard-hearted man she was beautiful and then he also says she was the best piece of ass he ever had so so much for his uh classiness yeah (laughs) all over the world during that whole scene tom hagan's eating his dinner he's eating his dinner He's just yeah. eats. He keeps eating yeah. the dinner. He's eating the dinner when the guy's done yelling. Says thank you for a lovely meal and leaves. Like he doesn't even stop his meal. He's just the coolest customer during this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Even though he knows how it's going to end, like you said, he's you know going to finish his meal. There's a great scene that they obviously you know for for cinematic purposes don't show it you, that they cut right to the morning and there he is the guy's in bed with the horse head. But if you imagine how they got the horse head there, it's. <laughs> kind of comical because first you got to kill the horse and that's not too hard you could just shoot the horse but you don't want to wake this guy up like the the whole point was they wanted to have a nice surprise for him Mm -hmm. so you don't want loud gunshots so somehow you got to kill the horse easy enough but then you got to cut the horse head off yeah that's that's a lot of cutting. You got a lot of manpower, even out on the West Coast. You can find some union folks to get that done for you. And then you got to get the horse head into his bed without waking him up. <laughs> and I just imagine like a couple of crooks with his horse head going, shh, shh. He's a sound sleeper, luckily. And are they giggling? Maybe they're like giggling. Maybe. <laughs> There's like one feather just going up and down. Can you believe he's still asleep? I mean, normally you're breaking people's fingers or their legs or, you know, collecting them. This is a novel and exciting gig, the yeah. horse head gig. That's that's a cherry gig. And I imagine that it's a guy like uh, Tommy from Goodfellas. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the West Coast version of Tommy is there, and he's just, he's like, shut up. We'll laugh about this later. Who's our best dismemberment guy on the West Coast? You, you got to take pride in your work, even if it's leaving a horse head in somebody's bed uh, stealthily. And also, like, before they get to that stage, what, you know, Tom comes there with, with things to offer besides do this or we'll do something bad to you. Mm-hmm. Things to offer. You got, you're going to have union problems soon. We can make those go away. Like there, are, he has connections. He has things to offer, which under any other circumstance would have worked, but it's a personal vendetta here with the whole starlet, you know, like that's, that's why he has to go out. That's why there's a problem doing this, but he tries all conventional means first because it's just much more efficient to do it that way. And it, yeah, and it doesn't just, ultimately, the, the family's authority rests on their willingness to resort to violence. That's ultimately what the authority goes to. And the producer makes the mistake of thinking that the authority is ultimately the, the, in the legal sense and in the sense that we respect civil society, that he owns the studio, it's his picture. Therefore, whatever, you know, if he says no to Johnny Fontaine, that's it. That's the bottom line. He's he's just doesn't see that there's another level that this could be taken to. You don't buy me out. I buy you out. <laughs> but the family, but it's it's the way that they, you know, and, and ultimately that they do resort to violence shows that there's, you know, there's there is something morally wrong with with the Corleone family. But until they get there, they really are acting like good guys. You know, they're not, they don't go to violence first. They don't just say threaten. They're trying, they're like, hey, look, we'll help you with your union problems. We can, you know, do this, we can do that. You know, and and, and there's also like with, with Hagen, it's sort of like he, he acknowledges, look, I know you don't want to do this, 
but it's got to be done. Yeah, and violence is a way for them to amass power because they want power. They want to have politicians. They want to control the unions or whatever. And all it's not violence as if violence is an end, as if they want to be known as this thing that will kill you. They want to use violence as needed to amass power. They would much rather say, because we have done all these small violent things and captured the unions and we have the judges in New York, we want we can use that to get what we want, which is way better than using violence because violence is a problem. Like They don't even want to kill a police officer because they know it'll bring stuff down on them. It's like small acts of violence to, you know, maintain their gambling business and, and you know, the prostitution and all that other stuff and to amass power to have the politicians who you have something on because they've been with your prostitutes because they are they are indebted to you for gambling or whatever and to use that power to get your things done. Like it, it's all about amassing power. It's just that when when your power is insufficient because you don't have enough leverage over this particular guy, there's that other gear you can go up into and you got horse head. One of the things that happens here, I mean, he's saying no to Don Corleone and you don't say no to Don Corleone. But uh, part of this is, uh, I would say the, the main plot of the movie is because Don Corleone says no to the other families. And this is, you know, when you say no, and and that's just it, and, and, and you can't have the, this art of persuasion or horse trading, or you let us do this, and we'll take care of this problem and all of that, that's when they're, they're, you know, violence becomes the recourse. And you see it in the very next scene. So they meet with, with uh, Salazzo, the Turk. And this is, it's fascinating, too, because this is about... Um, about narcotics it's about it's about getting into the drug trade and uh i, I think tom says narcotics is the future <laughs> which is <laughs> I, he's a man with a vision yeah, one word for you narcotics yeah <laughs> it's a different 70s movie. but Vito does not does not like that and he and he says finally after you know all of this talk he says i must say i must say no to you um because and that that kicks off this whole the, all the violence that happens between the families. Well, but it's not, it's not just that he says no. Like that is that is one part of it. But the real the real keystone to I think the the entire particular conflict in this movie is during this meeting. They have the pre meeting where they're all it's like Sonny and and the Godfather there and they're all and, and Tom and they're all talking about what they're going to do and they mm-hmm. say you know a lot of money in that white powder. I don't know. We should definitely meet with him. He's a serious person. Here's the deal. Like they're all doing the background on him. Then they, they set the meet. They do the meet. There's a lot of talking back and forth. The Godfather is very polite, talks about things. Sonny has one tiny outburst. Like, whoa, you mean you're going to guarantee our investment? That one tiny outburst, which wasn't against the Godfather. It wasn't like he went against the family, right? As Michael scolds someone for doing later. He merely was incredulous at the supposed guarantees that were being offered. And it showed that he was more open to the deal than his father. And that was the thing that sets off this entire conflict. Because if the families had been loyal, I think the Corleone family as a unit, they they wouldn't have gone up against them. Like there was there was a reason they were having this meeting. Why didn't they just force their like they they can't go up against a unified family. But once they see a crack in the armor, like, oh, all you gotta do is kill the old get, man. Get, get rid of the then, old man and Sonny will right, say yes. Sonny because Sonny is is more amenable to this deal. And so here is it here is an efficient way to get what we want with a sm- again another small act of violence to make this things go far. If they had presented a unified front, I don't think there w- this whole movie wouldn't have played out. There wouldn't have been this violence because it, the impression I get from the, the first Godfather is that the Corleone family was, if not the most powerful family in New York, one of the most powerful. Mm-hmm. It's it, certainly in political power because they kept complaining that he had all the politicians. Yeah, and so no, they yeah. were the, they were the most powerful. I think that's it's very clear. I mean, they can't. You know, it's one of those subjective things that maybe the other families would disagree. But I think the movie clearly presents them as the. You know the equivalent of like the Gambinos. You know that they're they're the- Barzini's at the head of the table at the end, though. So I don't know, like, like why does he get to sit at the head and the Godfather has got to sit in the middle? But but either way, I feel like if they had a unified front, 
they would they wouldn't have gone to war over it because this definitely these you know the Tatalia and everything like they, they these were lesser smaller families which is why you know they weren't really concerned about them but one outburst from Sunny one yeah. sentence one interjection and then that's it then they get the, the twinkle in their eye and they, they hang a lantern on that right because he gets dressed down he says never tell anyone outside the family what you think right the Godfather immediately says you can't do it right and it wasn't never go against the family it was just just don't tell them what you're thinking because by revealing your thinking now we're not a unified fronting also this situation is misread by uh, Salazzo in a very uh, unfortunate way because mm. he assumes yes. that <laughs> that Sonny will go along with this he doesn't realize that Sonny yeah. doesn't care Sonny wants his... to kill you yeah. <laughs> if you hurt his father that is the only thing he'll see he yeah. sees red for the rest of the movie yeah Th- then he realizes oh maybe Sonny is a bit of a hothead and not uh, <laughs> yeah. a reasonable this was a, this was a miscalculation <laughs> right then My- hmm. Michael you could argue I-, I-, I think again the loyalty to their father is probably there but I think Salazzo is making the cold calculation that the sons are going to want to seize power and that will that will be enough that that even though their father is is dead, that they're going to be make, so happy to be in charge. They're going to make the like, cold oh, calculation, like Salazzo perhaps would do, and that's not what happens because Sonny is a hothead. Um, we get so Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes, which we find out uh, a little bit later because he they send Luca Brasi to talk to them and they kill him. Yeah, probably not a great plan, by the way, because Luca Brasi maybe not your most savvy spy. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know, like he's he's a great enforcer. He's got also, muscle. he's yeah. he's the most loyal henchman. Why would he be the one that you send and? being like i don't know maybe he'll switch sides it's like luca brasi's well, not switching maybe it's sides. like the mo- it's like the most you know the big lie is better than the small lie. i'm just saying i don't have faith in his ability to act like to <laughs> act like he's not loyal he does a pretty good job he's very stone-faced or whatever but <laughs> i think that's uh, what know. luca brasi is like so he gets he gets uh garroted it's you know it's it's bad um and uh, that's a brutal murder that happens and that's the end of luca brasi but then uh the oranges oh the oranges so many things happen with oranges around for for Vito. um <laughs> but here he's buying some oranges at a fruit stand and they shoot him like many times uh and it's it's uh you know quite shocking the thing that really struck me though and this is just the world of this movie and also when this movie was made and our modern world michael corleone finds out that his father has been shot from the newspaper yeah by walking past a newsstand and seeing it (laughs) in the papers it's amazing (laughs) just call him on a cell phone and then he runs to a phone booth yeah (laughs) it's just like they had time to they had time to write the story print the papers he was was in the show you know probably shows are long i think he was yeah i i think he was out you know out on the town for many hours and you know you don't have a phone or anything like that but it's just and they couldn't reach him and they, they do say when he finally calls in they're like where where the hell have you been but it's pretty amazing that like you can go you can go so long that you find about your <laughs> about your dad being shot by seeing it on a newsstand in a newspaper that's amazing ah uh, the world we live in <laughs> doesn't say if he's alive or dead and tom hagan is uh is kidnapped as well as part of this plan and they're going to release him uh but they want to talk to him first and this is this is again salazzo trying to trying to uh make a uh, make an offer make a deal about about this with the family about what the, what they want to do and he wants tom hagan to be the the person to to lay it all out because he's got the he's got the clear legal mind and he they think yeah, he's a good a good but, emissary here but, but Vito doesn't die five shots but he's still alive yeah, and they did another miscalculation with Tom. Like, Tom, you're right. Tom is the person who will listen to reason and everything, but Tom's loyalty is just as big as theirs. All he's going to do is take everything you told him and use it against you as mm-hmm. soon as he gets back. There's yeah. never any inkling in this movie that he's going to, like, never. turn against the family and be persuaded. The entire time he's talking to Salazzo, you can tell he's like, everything you say to me, I will use against you as soon as I get back to my family and tell them what the deal is. We will use yeah. it to plot again, you know? And, like, Salazzo thinks maybe there's a chance, and he's very wrong. 
Yeah, and this is uh oh the oranges. I just I can't get hung up on that when you realize <laughs> that he's playing with oranges and he gets shot, and then later he's playing with the oranges when he dies at the end of the movie. It's he's amazing. Like, I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy some fruit. Mm-hmm. So Polly calls in sick. Fredo is the driver. Fredo is uh, not. Leaping into action. He Some real gun handling that Fredo gun. has yeah. there. <laughs> Some oh, amazing, man. like, what is this gun? Woo! And, 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 he, and he's crushed by it. He, like, you can see that he, you know, he realizes he failed. He's useless. He, he knows it. Yeah, he knows it's his fault and he, he feels terrible. All right. Um, the next set of scenes that we get um, are amazing, which is, I mean, we get leave, we, we get leave the gun, take the cannoli here too, but the hospital, the hospital, the deserted oh. hospital is so amazing that that like, uh, what, where is everybody? And it's just Vito there and the one nurse. They have a jump scare. There's a jump scare in The Godfather. <laughs> the, the nurse whisper comes in, like the quiet scene where Michael's creeping in, looking for his father, finally finds him. And the nurse comes in, what are you doing here? It's a jump scare with a whisper. Yeah. Probably the feat never achieved in a, in a regular non-horror movie. Yeah. Well, it also, it's amazing how this particular scene is shot because it's very tense and the camera's not moving at all. Uh, we, we have sort of a fixed position, very low to the ground on that top floor of the hospital where there's uh, very clearly the hallway that goes down one way to the room and the other hallway that goes down to the place where they, they take uh, uh, Vito later on when they wheel the cart out. Uh, and it takes place very slowly. Uh, we get another... Uh, momentary disturbance with Enzo and they go downstairs and they just stand there while a car drives by and it, it's not it, it, there's nothing crazy happening in terms of quick cuts and camera moves or anything like that and it, it just allows this very slow tension to build over the scene because there's effectively no one there who can mm-hmm. help him uh, and and you you see the isolation uh, there and he use and he uses brains to get out of it and I think the key thing about the pacing of the scene that always struck me is so they do that whole thing it's, it's tense Enzo comes out to Enzo. You know, he's got the flowers. And he says, Enzo, come over here. Put your hand in your pocket like you got a gun. Put oh, your collar so up. They, 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 do, they do the whole bluff, right? But it's very tense, right? Don't don't forget that one of my favorite things in the in this whole set is when he turns to the nurse and says, we need to move him. Men are coming here to kill him. Yeah, yeah. You see, no, the line is, you you know my father. Men are coming here to kill him. It's Michael's oh. effective communication in crisis. Is it, you know my father. That's all he has to say. Mm, he doesn't have to say, yeah. I, you don't understand. My father is part of organized crime. But he says, you know my father. It's a question and a statement. Men are coming here to kill him. That gets right to the point we need to move. But, but anyway, like after after they put the collar up and they do, they do their bluff and it works, they have what seems like a luxurious amount of time showing Enzo trying to light his cigarette and his hands his are shaking hands are because shaking, he's so yeah. nervous. Like we don't need, we already got the tension, but somehow having the scene where you see how shaken up he is afterwards, like ripples backwards through mm-hmm. the movie and makes it even more tense up to that point and they spend time on it to, like they're not saying anything they didn't already say before like in other words it's almost like they're putting a hat on a hat there but it's important because it's like the audience is decompressing and then realizing how dangerous what they did was and then it leads into the you know the the, the police chief coming and socking michael in the face so it does actually lead to something it's not like right. they go to that and then they cut to something entirely different but that always struck me as a as a tiny luxury that most movies don't take because they're like all right we've already done that everyone knows it's tense next scene but the godfather has the has the cigarette lighting and i think it's important you can you because you can see that it's that that's what's happening is uh it's all spinning out of control they come by and uh they uh they they see that they're there with their hands in their pockets and then they move on yeah it's uh and then the and then the cops come and it's it's still a close thing right like i mean they're going to try a few things to get to Vito and then they finally kind of have them beat at the end when tom hagen yeah, tom, tom shows, shows up. up these are private detectives they're licensed to carry firearms blah 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 and the police chief's like ah legalese 
get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I, I also would argue that the that the uh, the shaking hands. I mean, the great thing about the shaking hands is that uh, it gets it across that uh, this guy that Michael has conscripted is a, essentially is a civilian, and y- you need to show like this is not normal. <laughs> this is terrifying. They are standing out there with hitmen coming by and acting like they've got guns in order to do this. And yeah, it is terrifying. This is not normal. This is not every day for, for Enzo. He is terrified. And it's it's great that we see that in the end. So rewinding a little bit to the, uh, to, before we move on to the, rewinding a little bit to the Pauly business, I think, I mean, this is, for me, this establishes, maybe this is an old gangster movie trope, but I think this is one of the first ones I saw. Pauly, you know, called in sick, quote unquote, you know, the day that the that Vito got shot and everything, right? So he is with people who are going to kill him. We kind of know that. We kind of know that's what they're there for. But they say, Paulie, I don't want to see him again. Like, you know, so they're there to do that. They all get into the car together to go with their cannolis and everything. Paulie doesn't want someone sitting directly behind him and make some excuse about being able to see in the rearview mirror. Because he knows, like, why does he not want someone sitting behind him? He is, it's this kind of scene that The Godfather is full of where... Paulie is there with people who are ostensibly his friends, and they all have to pretend in like a Billy Budd type fashion that I know that you know that I know, but I can't <laughs> let on that I know that you're there to kill me. That vibe, the Godfather's entire movie is that vibe. And this one scene, mm. it's clear that Paulie knows they're there to kill him, but what can he do? He's got to play along with it and hope that maybe he's wrong about it, but he also doesn't want the guy sitting behind him. And that's that adds to the tension of that scene, and also I think the great scene where he uh, kicks, it, he gets strangled from behind and kicks out the windshield, which is another uh, dramatic moment. Uh, mostly not copy because I think you don't have the strength to kick out a windshield on a modern car, but those old cars in the the forties or whenever this was, no problem. And then of course they shoot they shoot him in front of the Statue of Liberty again. Are you getting the picture here? American Dream gun <laughs> head. All right. <laughs> What's also interesting about that, that I didn't uh, know until relatively recently. I can't remember what the source was, but uh, Francis Ford Coppola wrote in the the line for the wife telling uh, Clemenza that. Uh, she wanted him to, you know, don't forget the cannoli. And then when the actor who plays Clemenza later on is saying, you know, take the gun, he improvised the line, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli uh, for for that scene. It wasn't exactly written that way. But, uh, you know, it really embodies a lot of what we think of when we think of this film, I would say, because, you know, it's about family and don't cross the family. And, you know, here's here's you know, the food I'm going to take home to my wife and I'm going to shoot this guy who crossed. There's, there's a little bit of food business in this movie as well. Like they, they make the sauce later and they talk about the cannoli and it's, it's clearly important. They don't weigh on it as heavily as they do in the Godfather, but it's there. Like that food is an important part of this. So you mentioned, so, so, uh, the, the dirty cop shows up and, uh, and Michael, Michael is, gets, uh, gets really mad. How much are they paying you, captain? He says, he mouths off at him a little bit and he put, gets punched in the jaw and gets his jaw broken for that. But, um, this leads into the big, uh, uh, scene where the, the Turk wants to meet with Michael and, uh, Tom Hagen says we need to listen to them and Sonny is just angry and he doesn't care. And then Michael says, I can do this. I can kill both of them if you can get me a gun. They want to meet with me because they think I'm the reasonable person that's going to be the go-between. But if you can get a gun, if you can figure out where the restaurant is and you can get a gun there, we, you know, we can take them out. And at this point in my notes, I wrote, Abe Bogota knows all the toilets in the Bronx. Because (laughs) (laughs) Abe Bogota immediately is like, they got that old pool chain toilet and I can put it behind the tank there. And So many things in this movie would have to be explained to younger people. Like in the hospital, 
had the skipping record, which I'm not sure people watching it today who don't know what a record is. And the, you know, skipping record atmosphere doesn't work. And then he calls yeah. someone and gets on the phone and says like Long Beach four five six two one or whatever. Why doesn't he just dial the number? And what is that skipping thing? And what does he mean like a water closet with a chain? I've never <laughs> even seen anything like that, but you'll see it now. I grew up with one of those pull chain toilets myself, actually, but there was never a gun tape behind never it. Got, you don't know. Did you check? I it? did Sometimes check. It's hard to find. I Sometimes did you check, think John. there's no gun there. You got to keep looking. You got to keep sure looking. Find it. it might be up in the yeah. middle part. Was yeah. there a cannoli? Uh, there was no cannoli either. Damn, not Italians. I wouldn't want that for my toilet. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that scene, by the way, where they're where they're all talking about like what they're supposed to do. I think we should meet them before Michael comes out with before the gears turn in Michael's head, and he realizes like this is what we're going to do. Uh, Sonny is frustrated with yeah. Tom because Tom is all about like when well, we could do this or whatever. And at one point, Sonny yells at Tom, "Just help me win!" Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's all Sonny's concerned about is like it's now just a game of army men. Like we need to kill them before they kill us. Tom is giving me the whole idea. Sonny doesn't want to hear your damn ideas. Just just help me win. And his version of winning is other everyone else dead and me alive, which is why he's a bad guy. Tom's not even saying, you know, let's give up or something. He's like, let's listen to what they have to say. He wants to collect more information. He's right, but that cool feel and like collected. Sonny. And Sonny does not care, right? Because he wants revenge. He's he's angry, and that's the, the, that's those characters in a nutshell, right? But Michael steps up and is like, I got a plan. I'm gonna, I, you know, this this it's gonna get us our revenge, but it's also kind of a cool uh, logical constructed plan and sonny laughs at him sonny laughs at him you know like he's he's laughs at him because he's proud that he's like got gusto and willing to take up his friend he's like michael you're not going to do that you don't this is not a thing that you do you know we're proud of you i love you but just forget it but michael eventually prevails who's who's the guy who teaches michael how to do a hit uh is it tessio no it's clemenza 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 Clemenza, right i love that this is one of my favorite little scenes in the movie because it's more interesting to me than than the scene where he actually shoots the guys it's the scene you know and and it's just one of those things that to me feels realistic because it i don't know if that's actually the advice you want if you're going to shoot a guy (laughs) in a restaurant but it sounds to me like good advice right it doesn't matter if it actually is good advice it's based on experience like look i've I've shot 50 people in restaurants is how you do it yeah yeah and it it's like what does what does he say then he says like and then uh like everyone's going to be looking at you don't worry about you know no one's going to be looking at your gun everyone's going to be staring at your face so just put your hand down to your side and drop the gun and like uh, the best the thing i like about that is they're in a basement they're in the basement firing the gun and they have the sound so loud like the sound of a <laughs> right. gun going off in a cement basement just rings out in in the movie that you realize it's got to be super loud and probably has a hole in his wall now this is the um the conversation they have in the uh in the restaurant is the you know we're gonna we're gonna speak italian now and they and and then they speak italian for a while with no subtitles (laughs) with no subtitles (laughs) we're all on the outs there but like we're we're supposed to be it helps the reason i think the reason left off subtitles is we're supposed to be looking at michael's face yeah we know what michael's there to do it's the bomb Mm -hmm. under the chair thing the audience knows and michael knows and we're looking at his face and we realize Michael's not listening to him speaking Italian either because he's not thinking about that. You know, you wouldn't be. You'd be thinking about, I'm going to have to shoot this guy, not hearing a word he's saying. So he might as well be speaking a different language that he didn't understand. So the tension, like he asks to go to the bathroom and they're like, they, they pat him down a couple of times. The way he asks to go to the bathroom, like, so they, they're speaking Italian back and forth. Michael's not listening. And at a certain point, Michael, who you can tell he's he understands Italian, but he's more comfortable in English. And mm-hmm. so eventually Michael starts to get frustrated at this litany of like, you know, come ons that he's saying. And he goes to you know, the famous line with this jaw wired shut. What I want, what's most important to me because he's frustrated. He's like, look, just listen. This is what I want. I just want, you know, my father, you know, no, no further attempts on my father's life or whatever. And he's like, well, who can say like, you know, things happen or whatever. And then Michael's like, all right, 
I'm going to the bathroom. Like, he's so pissed off at yeah. him that he wouldn't even listen to reason. He was supposed to be like, asked to go to Ask, the bathroom. Right, and instead he's like, I'm going to the bathroom. Is that okay? I'm going to go to the bathroom. And the, and the other guy's eye twitches, which yeah. is just a great scene. Like, he realizes there's something, like, he realizes that as far as Michael's concerned, like, he gave it, you know, because he doesn't want to shoot the guy. He's not a thing that he's done before. He's trying a bit of like, listen, just I, no more attempts on my father's life. And he's like, ah, I don't know. He's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And the other guy's eyes twitch, and he wants to check him again, and he says, you know, he's clean, I frisked him. I frisked plenty of young punks, or whatever he says. <laughs> strange line, right? <laughs> Michael almost blows it, because he, does. he doesn't want to shoot him, and he gets angry when he shouldn't get angry. He should be making them feel comfortable in, in great Goodfellas style, of being like, we're all friends here, I'm not going to shoot you in the head in five minutes, everything's fine, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. Okay, <laughs> ask for permission to go to the bathroom. He does not ask for permission. Says, I gotta go to the bathroom. It's it's a great scene because again, he's not he's not a super mastermind from from the get go. He almost blows this entire thing and mm-hmm. it reveals his character that he doesn't, you know, he's not used to maintaining his cool under these kinds of pressures. Once he gets the gun uh, that Abe Goda has uh, correctly identified what the toilet is like in this restaurant in the Bronx, <laughs> so that he gets the gun, he comes back out, and that is not only an incredibly tense scene, but you're like, just shoot him already! Just shoot yeah, him already! He's supposed he's, to! That was the plan! I they know, went over right? the plan! He, he as soon lingers, as you come out of the bathroom, come out shooting! He's wandering. And he comes out, and we, the audience, are expecting him to come out shooting. He does not come out shooting. Why? Because it's really hard to shoot somebody if you've never done it before. So he comes out and he sits back down, and we're like, no, what are you sitting back down for? You're supposed to shoot him. Are you not going to shoot him? Are you wimping out? Uh, and so he sits there again, and just the train starts coming, and the noise starts building, and we're not paying attention to what anyone's saying. They're zooming in on his face, and his jaw is set. Amazing scene. It is. And then, uh, and then, so he kills them, and then he he kind of uh, walks away, and then kind of <laughs> yeah. flings the gun, like, yeah, no, Not very smooth. Bring no. your arm down to your side slowly and drop it. Nope, he's like flailing it in the air, Fredo style. Every time I see that scene, I'm like, drop it, just drop it, Michael, drop it, come on, why are you not dropping it? Every single time. He de- he never mm. does it right. Ugh. And then we get spinning newspapers. A classic. <laughs> um, yeah. Vito goes home. Uh, he's sort of wheeled home in a, in a hospital bed. Um, uh, he asks where Michael is and they explain that he killed Salazzo and, and I would say this is, uh, the, the, the Godfather, you know, Vito is sad. Uh, he, he, I, I feel like this is the, you know, I, I had my hopes for what Michael would be. And now Michael has been swept up into the into the family business. And I, I, I get the sense there that, you know, the, that there's that that regret that that Michael had to do that from the, the very ill veto in his in his bed. And uh, then Sonny starts killing people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get the whole tragedy of this was Michael has to basically say goodbye to Kay and be like, look, go back to your parents in New Hampshire, which yeah. is like the ultimate insulting destination, white bread destination for the Italians to be telling the, yeah. go back to New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do a thing here. I'm going to, you know, when am I going to see you again? I don't know. Like, and, and he's got to go away. He knows before he does this, that afterwards he's going to go away. They're going to go to the mattresses. He's going to go to Italy. Uh, yeah. And so it's, it's this big separation, this big middle section where it's like, Something dramatic has happened, and now we hit the big reset button. And you don't know where the movie's going from here, no. because Michael spends a lot of time in Italy uh, and does some significant things there. Your intermission is basically here, right? When Michael goes to Sicily, you could just you could just uh, you know fade out and send everybody out into the lobby for a snack. 
Because that's that's basically what happens. In fact, we watched this over two nights, and that's where I stopped it. I was like, we're just trying to get to when Michael goes to Sicily, and then uh, we'll watch the next part later. So now we got a couple things going on in the in the next part. So Michael in Sicily, we should probably talk about that. He's in Sicily. He's with the Italians. He's speaking Italian. Uh, he gets hit by the thunderbolt, which is uh, the girl Apollonia, but her father is reluctant. And you got the comedy relief of the two bodyguards who are funny, even if you don't understand Italian, even if you don't read the the subtitles the two of them are are quite a pair Mm -hmm. uh and you know they're they're just like what is michael even doing there he's just walking around the countryside with his two bodyguards and seeing (laughs) seeing the pretty girls and goes goes to talk to the father my favorite part about talking to the father is the power move where michael decides to speak to the father in english like that's a power move amongst the provincial people there like i know i'm american i i speak english and i'm going to choose to speak english and have myself translated because that like asserts my oh, yeah. dominance over you to show that I'm I'm an American and you should be lucky that I'm even looking at your farm girl daughter or whatever. And uh, he understands what they say, right? He, he never has it translated back. He just is like, I'm going to speak English. You can you can have it translated for you. And uh, but they, but he marries her. He marries Apollonia. And we see we see that scene, too. And that's a sweet section of the movie, like when he's walking with her, like he goes to introduce himself to the family. And when they go for a walk together, first they show the two, the, the, you know, the, the young couple going for a walk. Yeah. And then behind them, the women are walking. And then behind them, the, the bodyguards, men the kids, like this train of the family, like the, and then the bodyguards pulling up the rear. Like it's a supervised sort of in it, more innocent time. Like you can go on a walk with my daughter, but of course you can't go on a walk with my daughter alone. In fact, the entire family is going to follow behind you in a train, but we'll leave a respectable distance yeah. so you can have your private time together, but we all go. And then the bodyguards bring it up the rear. It's like, this is actually not your average uh, courtship here because there are bodyguards involved. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the U.S., Kay has showed up to try to find Michael, and Tom's like, I can't tell you anything, and I can't get <laughs> yeah. you a letter. I can't take a letter because then it could be implied that I know where he is, and I can't. So so that that's that's happening. But, you know, Michael's hanging out in in, uh, in Sicily for a while. He teaches his wife how to some English and how to drive a car. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday. <laughs> so, there's, it's, it's another – it's such a subtle scene, and it plays a against all uh, like stereotypes or, or tropes that movies can fall into. Because I remember the first time I saw it, I, I remember being a little bored by the whole Sicily thing. And it's like, where's this going? And then he, he decides to get married to this Italian girl. And it's like, whoa, where the hell did that come from? And I don't know how much of it, like, I don't know how big a star Diane Keaton was in 1972. But by the time I saw The Godfather, I knew she was a star. Mm-hmm. And the fact, you know, yeah. by casting a star in a role, it says something. It is part of making a movie when you have somebody like that. And, and Kay never did anything wrong. She never no. did anything that would make her the least bit. It seems like, wow, this guy's got a great, he has a great girlfriend. She's smart. She's pretty, you know. Not an Italian. Well, but me watching the movie, I can see, I can totally see why Michael is, is into her. And I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where somebody just d- ditches their, their significant other without any kind of, you know, like, <laughs> it it's it's such a shock because she never did anything there was never any kind of strife between them and what it kind of it says a lot about michael ultimately yeah is what it does yeah well i mean michael has said hit a big like he's at a crisis point in his life because this is what not what he expected his life to be either committing double murder and then uh, running away to italy that's not was not in his game plan like he's college boy army you know like he did all these things and he finds himself in a situation i feel like when he's in italy he's kind of like I guess this is my life now. Like, I I didn't think I would be part of this crime family thing, and now I am, and I guess I just should just fully embrace it. I should have an Italian wife. Like, like 
I don't think he feels like he should be marrying Kay at this point because she was part of the life that he wanted to have, not the life that he finds himself having after committing double murder and running away to Italy. Uh, and so he's there and he's like, I, you know, maybe this is a better wife for me, more like my mom, an Italian wife who's going to be traditionally Italian, not an American wife, not a wife that's part of the larger society the Italians aren't allowed to belong to. I am now back down in the gutter with my family and you know, this, this is what I should be doing. And and I think he's thinking towards the future. Like if this is going to be my life, I want to do a good job of it. I should have a good Italian wife. It turns out he's not that he's right, but that things would have gone differently. I think in this, in between, in between this movie and the Godfather part two, and for the rest of Godfather part two, if he had had a wife who didn't stand up for herself and didn't like, didn't want to be an actual fully actualized person like Kay did, which caused many problems and right. uh, consternation to, to Michael and the, in the uh, later movies, his plan here in Italy makes some sense to me, but then his wife, of course, does blow up. So that kind of puts a damper on that. Yeah, that's the that's where this uh, the storyline ends. Is they say it's too dangerous here. We got to move you to a villa near Syracuse. Hey, look Yay! at that! <laughs> and uh, and uh, she she's so proud that she can drive now that she wants to drive the car. And uh, he sees the guy running away, Fabrizio, and knows that something's wrong, and says, "No, stop!" And the car blows up, and she dies. The way they have the, they show the reaction shot of Michael after the explosion, they want to show him being blown backwards, but they don't have like, you know, modern wire foo things to make mm. him be, be tumble backwards in slow motion. So they just have like a sped up camera of him falling backwards into a bush and it does not look great. <laughs> like, by modern standards, it looks, it's almost comical. It's almost like Keystone Cops or like, you know, Buster Keaton where he goes flips backwards really quickly in an obviously sped up piece of film in a non particularly dramatic way, but. Yeah, that, that's a great scene. And it, it feels tragic because if you are lulled into a sense of like, Italy's nice. <laughs> Look at the goats. And this is a beautiful <laughs> wife. And and like everything is going well. It's and like and, and this like he hasn't been engaging his brain. He engaged his brain to to get the wife to say, here's how I have to, have to talk to the dad to get this to happen. But that's low stakes. Right. And everything seems to be going fine. And until he's like he. He sees the, the bodyguard walking away, says, where are you going? And like his brain reengaged. All of a sudden, all the gears catch again. And he immediately realizes she's going to blow up. He realizes it. And that's that's the end of his, his life and uh, his new life for himself in Italy. That's the end of it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy where he's got to snap out of this snap out of this daydream that he was living, reengage all the gears and reengage with what's really going on back over in America. Yeah. So meanwhile, back in America, uh uh, they're, they're, uh, Sonny wants to fight Talia, um, but he goes and sees he goes and sees Connie, and she's been beat up, um, and she begs Sonny not to kill her husband, but he uh, Sonny beats him in the street. So that, that <laughs> with a trash can, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With, with one of the the most oh, famous, as far as I'm concerned, beast punches ever put into movies. <laughs> like mm. so, it's you know you know stage punches where you have to do it with the camera where you mm -hmm. can't see that they're not actually making contact, and they do right. this incredible fight scene. Which I think is beautifully shot, but just like one long continuous shot of like chasing him into the little like fire escape area and like doing all this stuff to him. But there is one punch in that scene because it's one unbroken shot and they didn't have the magic of digital editing that is like a foot and a half away from Carlos' <laughs> face. And they just left it in the movie and it's like, what can you do? You're going to do that whole scene again? This They probably did 20 takes. Yeah. Like, this is the best one we got. We can't digitally move his hand closer to his face. Just one scene where they were sidelong to the camera. All the other ones, they were front to back or back to front and you can't see that they're not landing and the Foley covers it. But... That's a big whiff. And you never, you know, at the time in 1972, the, the idea, may, maybe if this is as good as we hope it is, maybe somebody will see it twice. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. I'm right. going to watch it over and over again and keep seeing that punch not land. <laughs> right. Then uh, Connie, a late, in, a, in a little bit later scene after Kay has uh, showed up trying to look for Michael, she she gets a call from her husband's mis- mistress. Uh, she totally loses it. They fight. She breaks a lot of stuff and throws a lot of stuff on the floor. Um, the babies, the babies are crying. There are a lot of crying, loud crying babies in this movie. I guess that says something about family, but I, I noticed it. Like there's a lot of aggressive baby crying in this movie where you're like, ah, I can't hear the babies crying. And <laughs> yeah, when, you can't, when they call and the mother's like, I can't hear, I can't hear what he's saying. The, the baby's crying. The baby's she crying. gives the phone to someone else. She's the mother. Vito's wife is so not engaged in this world at all yeah. to the point where she's like she can't even talk to you on the phone about this important thing because the baby's crying but uh you know they they have this fight and you know sonny freaks out again um and he he's gonna run right over there and kill that kill kill that uh husband um and so he get, gets in the car and they're all like oh you gotta bodyguards chase after him and he and he's gonna go and uh and here we go sonny's gonna take that guy out and what happens well it's on the it's on the, the he's got to pay at the toll the booth. He's on the causeway. He's got to pay at the toll booth. And there's guys with guns waiting at the toll booth. He didn't have exact change. That's what it was. <laughs> no easy pass. No <laughs> and so they take him out, which is a that's a that's a shock moment. I think if you're if you're not if you haven't seen this movie before, you you don't expect that Sonny is going to get waylaid on the way to the to to beat up Connie's husband. But that's what happens. It's a nice little thing where they close the door like. How do you know when he's going to get hit? They take his money, they just slide the door closed, and then the guy goes away, and you're like, wait, so what's, like, it's another one of those tropes that we picked up where, like, a normal scene, everything seems to be going fine until all of a sudden the normalcy disappears, and then men with the guns appear. And I feel like this entire scene, and maybe the entire movie, was sponsored by the squib union, because the number of squibs <laughs> oh, that go off on his chest, like, they shoot him with Tommy guns or whatever. And it is, like, they don't just shoot him a few times and they cut away. It's just like, let me show you him being shot like dozens and dozens of times and even when he's dead with a million exploded squibs on him we're going to do one more sweep across him just to make sure like it's, it, it is a brutal killing probably not matched by anything that's not a b-movie maybe robocop when they when they shoot shoot him in the alleyway i haven't seen that in years is close but like the unflinchingness of like the camera is going to show you him being shot the whole way through so you really get it that he's dead 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 it's it's only a couple of years after bonnie and clyde which has a very similar yeah uh machine gun killing multiple killing at the end the squib union is very strong yeah they're good they, they got they got people on it this is a point i forget about so so did talia shire's husband what's his name carlo so was he he was in on it like the the yeah. salato the salato because he yeah he wanted it like this is this took me this is one of those points that took me like like the seventh time I saw the movie, I was like, "Oh, I'm stupid. I got it." Because he wanted to be in the Corleone family, and they're they're they kept pushing him out, and they're like, "You're just our sister's husband. You know, you're not in. Right. Give, you know. give him a living, but he'll never be part of the never family. Be part of the right. family. He's never really part of the family. And then the Salazzo people get you know he he you know because that's what he wants to be. He wants to be a big shot gangster, and mm-hmm. so they're going to give him a shot. And all you got to do, they say, look, just you know, beat up your wife. It'll Sonny's going to come right over. And we'll take care of the rest. Yeah, and 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 you get that line much later on, right after uh, Tessio gets it. They they say you got to answer for Santino, Carlo. That's when they say right. it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's right. the whole ending of the thing of the movie, where as Michael's giving him the ticket, another you know everything is fine here until I get the piece of information I want from you, and then 
You know? Yeah. So Sonny's gone. Uh, Vito uh, has to ask Tom what it is, and he says, "Oh, I just, I just heard I was going to come and tell you, and my wife is, my wife is crying, and all of those things happen that that Sonny is dead." Yeah, it's another luxurious, another luxurious scene because again, like we know this information has to be communicated from you know the, eventually the Godfather has to find out, and you could have a scene with him telling it, but they they spend the extra time because hey, we've got a three hour runtime here. Spend the extra time. Showing Tom prepare to tell him, showing Vito finding him preparing, having them discuss about the fact that he's preparing, and then to finally tell him with a very, you know, very concise writing, they shot Sonny on the causeway, he's dead. Yeah. Uh, Lots of short sentences in this movie, which is uh, a refreshing change from a lot of the movies these days where everyone is shucking and jiving about everything. So they have to call in a favor to the guy from the first scene at the funeral parlor. It's, It's Chekhov's favor. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and, and a good slow zoom down because at this point again people haven't been keeping track of like what was that guy's profession in the first scene like at this point you don't remember so right. it is kind of a reveal when they come in down the stairs and you see him there sitting there he's waiting like it's in the middle of the night but he's got dressed up all in his suit and he's ready to receive the godfather what is his favor that you want i mean you, you think he's thinking the worst like what do i need to do whatever whatever turns out we just need you to do your profession in extremely dire circumstances and he's there and he's ready to do it look how they massacred my boy oh man why does mother seem like this? So the five the five families they have a meeting, um, and we hear I believe this drug business will destroy us. It's a line in this scene, which I, I just I really like the idea that this is the thing that's really driving a wedge between the, the the mob families in New York is do we get into drugs or not? It's like, no, this is bad. The police aren't gonna they'll look they'll look away at some stuff, but the you know, they're not gonna be able to do this. But they cut a deal. They cut a deal to allow drugs, to forswear vengeance, keep you know keep the hands off of Michael because they each lost, they each lost a son. Like I mean, this yep. is Mar- Marlon Brando, like Vito Corleone says, like, look, this has gone too far. Sonny's dead. I need to settle this. So he's pulling out his skills, and his skills is a, he's a peacemaker. He's a negotiator. He's going to come in there. He's going to do the thing that Sonny couldn't. I forego the vengeance of my son. I lost mm-hmm. a son. You lost a son. Everything is fine. We're going to do the deal. Drugs will be allowed. Limited. Like he is. He is a politician. He is making the deals that have to be made, but. It, you know, and again, Barzini's up at the head of the table, kind of watching yeah. this all, and that's how that's how Vito figures out yeah. that it was Barzini the, all along. The very so yeah, so the very but, next thing is it was Barzini right. all along. But but like the, the Godfather, after this whole thing, we all agree. You know, oh, you've got all the politicians in your pocket. When have I ever refused an accommodation? I'm a reasonable person. You know me. To be, like does all that thing, and he ends with, and this is the deal. But. By the way, if anything happens to Michael, if he gets, you know, hit by a car, struck by a bolt of lightning, that I will not forgive. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, he, he is oh, asserting so his dominance is like, look, there's a limit here. This is what I'm going for. We're going to do this deal. But if he trips and falls and scrapes his nose, I'm going to kill everybody. Right. Struck by a bolt of lightning. So, so Kay shows up. <laughs> and Michael, I should say Michael shows up after being back for a year with Kay and is like, hey, uh, we should go. We should get married. When did you get back? About a year ago. Yeah. That's so it's so weird I, how Michael deals with Kay. I mean, Kay is useful to have to have his his wife and be, you know, and he needs one. And so he kind of drops her and goes to Italy and marries somebody and all of that, but now he needs someone and he knows her and it's uh it's 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 very hard for me to watch this scene because it's just so calculated. Like, oh, I love you, I need you and all of that. Marry me. And it's just, you know, come on, Michael. But that you know mm. she's a, she's sort of a sucker for it and uh he says oh i'm going legit we're gonna get out of the bad businesses uh, don't worry about it and uh 
Oh, that's a so the famous mistake. scene where he says, you know, oh, what about your father's business? I thought this wasn't going to be you. And, he, and he, he goes to bat for his father. He's already he's fully converted at this point. He's going to bat for his father to Kay. He says, look, listen, my father's no different than any other powerful man. Right. And then she's like, oh, Michael, you know, yeah. like senator or president, you know, senator or president don't have people killed. You know, you know how naive you sound. Oh, yeah. it's, it's such a great scene where they both call each other on their BS and sort of come to an understanding because, A, she still loves him and her prospects as a spinster in New Hampshire don't look too great, right? Uh, and B, he lays on the table. I need a wife to give me children yeah. because I want to be a family man like my father, which is not the most romantic pitch. And you kind of see Michael doing it through <laughs> through gr- gritted teeth. It's like, I this is the thing I need to embody. Yeah. So right. let's let's make this happen. You know? Yeah, but that's it. It's it's like it's all business essentially. Um, we have a weird. Um, a weird little uh, thing that I mean, we get more of Nevada in the second movie, but we we get this uh, now now here before the big finale. We get our little diversion to Vegas because they're going to get into the casino business. Um, this is where um, Michael says we're going to make Carlo the consigliere. That is the that is Connie's abusive husband, and Tom is going to be our lawyer in Vegas. They go to Vegas. Fredo is Mister Vegas. He is partying with Johnny. Banging cocktail waitresses he's, two at a time. He's been hanging out with Mo Green. They set up that whole thing for Michael with all the girls and all that. And it's like, who are yeah. these girls? And we get it all out of here. Get the band out of here. You know, get it, get it all out of here. He has a great speech with uh, Mo Green. Where Mo Green, Alex Rocco, so great. Of, Alex yeah. Rocco, yeah. Is so Mo great. Green does not want to yeah. hear his crap at all. Uh, and he goes through this whole thing. It's like you know, your casinos lose money. Says, what are you trying to say? You trying to say I'm skimming off the top? And like Michael has one of the best, most cutting lines in the entire thing when he's talking to a casino owner who is losing money. Who is saying you trying to say I'm skimming off the top? But Michael says you're unlucky, <laughs> which is the most the worst thing you can say to a casino owner. <laughs> so it's just. So, so like he is so brutal in, in this scene, and you don't know if he has an, uh, the, anything to back it up with at this point because at this point Michael starts to feel like he's overconfident. It's like we saw you perform with the whole cop thing, and you got the job done, but not particularly smoothly. And here you are, sort of puffing yourself up and acting all serious. And you know, and when Fredo comes in and says, "You don't come to Las Vegas talk to Mo Green like that," we kind of believe Fredo. It's like, yeah, Michael, like you're not you're not the king here and you know as mo says things aren't going well for your family you're on the downswing you can't come here and strong arm me uh, and you wonder how this is going to end turns out bolt to the eye yeah it's not, not <laughs> going to go well for mo for mo green and fredo of course gets also lectured here don't don't ever take sides against the family like don't forget who you who you yeah. are you got to be with the family fredo don't don't turn vegas here you got to be you got to be with yeah. the family fredo you're my brother and i love you but He'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> How about the shot where Mo Green gets the bullet right through the glasses? Yeah. Oh yeah, very brutal. More squibs. Well, it's it's a little little tube of blood that goes through the glasses uh, <laughs> and sprays out the back. So yeah, you've spoiled it. You yeah. ruined everything, Joe. Yeah, you you've Movie destroyed magic. the magic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you can kind of see that uh, the way they do. But like, I, my favorite part of that scene is his hairy back. <laughs> this is back in the 70s when you when you'd show men's bodies that did not all look like adonis's it's just, yeah. Yeah. it's just alex rocco he's just a just a guy he's getting his massage you know on his hairy back it looks up what's what's going on so the uh, the vito corleone retirement plan um one of the things i really love so he you know he said we, we get the scene where he's like Look, Michael's in charge. You listen to Michael. I don't want to hear about it. And then we get we get the scene where he's he's uh, in his uh, he's in his yard where we saw the wedding earlier, and he says, "I like to drink wine more than I used to. I never want you know. I never wanted this for you." He says, 
Um, and then, and, and he does some, he, so all of this stuff with Marlon Brando here at the end is really great. So, so he says, it, it, it's an amazing scene. He's like, here's what they'll do. They will come to you and uh, someone will come to you and say, we want to broker a meeting at a neutral location and that's where they'll assassinate you. And the someone person you trust, someone you trust that implicitly yeah. will come to you. And the person, the person who comes is the traitor. He's like, did I tell you that already? It's like, you told me, Pop. Like, cause he's getting a little repeating <sighs> yeah. himself in his oh, old yeah. age and he's just trying well, to go through. He's still got, he still knows the move. He's still got the strategy to be slowing down. He's drinking a lot of wine. So my, my cousin, um, my cousin, Mike loves, uh, he loves wine. And, uh, and he's told me on more than one occasion, I want to go out like Vito in The Godfather. <laughs> I want to be uh, drinking wine, not entirely sure where I am, playing with my grandchildren, <laughs> and I just want to fall over. In, in, in a garden <laughs> yep. on Long Island with just the breeze blowing. Beautiful. Yeah. My, kid, the, my grandkids are running around. I'm happy. I got wine. And then I just lay down, and it's over. Like that I'm is sure his dream. Michael, Michael will probably die exactly the same way, right? Yeah, sure. The um, <laughs> some very similar circumstances. The orange. He puts the oranges in the mouth, and he's like, right? And it's the the oranges are death, man. Come on, oranges are death. Did you not? And that's and that's it for the Godfather. And it would be such a great ending to the movie, but it's not the end of the movie. It's just the end of Vito Corleone. The rest because he's not has the protagonist. Continue. He's not the protagonist. That's right. You could see it, right? <laughs> that he falls over, and then the music comes up, dun, 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 and it's the end of the movie. But, but it's not. But you couldn't end it there because again, the family is on the downswing. Exactly. You're not sure how Michael's how Michael's right. going to deal with it. You haven't resolved the inherent conflict of the movie. You've just taken one of the big players off the board and given him. A farewell that will stand that that farewell and his death will stand as like that sets up the Godfather part too. Mm. Like yeah, that that is always yeah. there as the contrast. Everything Michael does going forward uh, to to show how how he is diverging from that path, despite the fact that Vito, you know, is not a perfect person, and we know all his flaws, and you know, we know what kind of man he actually was, and we learn more about it. But it's just that's why they get you know that's why the Godfather part two is so great, where they they show the contrast. But like. While you're watching Godfather Part Two, you just have to keep thinking back to what was Vito's family like? What was Vito's house like? What was Vito's death like? What was Vito's relationship with his siblings and wife like? And just compare to Michael's attempts to to fill his father's shoes and finding himself wanting in every respect. Right. Well, and I mean that's the beauty of the second one is that you're seeing Michael trying to become Vito, and you're also seeing Vito becoming Vito. <laughs> yeah, yep. which is just that's a lovely balance. And that takes us to. The amazing final set of uh, scenes for this movie in which we in which we discover, oh, Abe Vigoda, Tessio, Tessio was always smarter. Tessio was smarter, yeah. Oh, he's the traitor. Um, and I've decided to be godfather to Connie's baby. So we're going to have the scene where we have the baptism and, and Michael is being named godfather. And it is all, so now he is literally the godfather <laughs> and it's all cross-cut with settling all family business and it is it is just amazing do you renounce satan i do <laughs> right? I mean, it's, just, it's so amazing and i i really do love when they get a pagoda um i love his line which is tell michael it was only business I always liked him and i'm like yeah I get it, and yeah, they put him in the and car. Then he tries one last. Can can you can you get me off for old time's sake? And then Tom goes, "Can't do it, can't, Sally. Can't do it. Nope. It's all. It's this how it has to be." And he knows it. And uh, Carlo gets it. You got to answer for Santino. Um, uh, and it's like, no, no, you you'll be fine. We're gonna we're gonna send you to Vegas. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. He 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 reassures him because he needs. This is a, this is a quirk of Michael. Yeah. He needs to know. 
am I killing you? He's still, am I killing this person unjustified? Like, I think he had something to do with it, but he really didn't. He needs to know whether it's true. So he's like, everything's fine. I bought you a plane ticket. I truly believe Michael bought him a plane ticket. Yeah. Like, he's paid money for a real plane ticket. Like, you're going to go here. This is, you're out of the family business. That's your punishment. You got to make it sound plausible. So he will open up and he will admit or whatever. And then Michael can say, all right, close the door. We're, on that now, we're gonna, right? now we're going to, now we're going to kill him in the, in that car. It's like, that's, you know, you broke the, yeah, that was the windshield you, one. Uh, I got it confused with the other you one. Broke, yeah, you broke a, the windshield in the, in the car. You should have killed him. Like, I don't know, somewhere else. Don't waste the windshield of the car, but he's gone. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so everybody, everybody gets it while the baptism is going on and it's all just intercut and it's, um, it's amazing. It's masterful. I think what a lot of people who like The Godfather take from this, which is unfortunate and plays out into a lot of lesser uh, gangster movies, is that to win in the world of organized crime, you just have to be like tougher than the other guy. Kill like people come away from it with a sunny strategy like, oh, Michael won because he killed all the other guys before they could kill him. Like, as if it's just a little game of army men, and it's like, I'm bigger and tougher, and I kill you. That's the sunny strategy. That's not why he won. The reason he won is because he realized that in this position, where he is, where the family is going down, and he is not seen as a threat, he can't win a war against these people. The only way he can win is if he gets himself off the playing field. He spends the whole time at the baptism, right? And simultaneously, surgically strikes the few key points he needs to hit. Simultaneously is important because he needs to get them all at once. If he gets one or two, everything will crash down on him. And the only reason he gets away with it is because they have a false sense of confidence that the, the Corleone family is on the way out. They had just attended Vito's funeral. They're all there at Vito's funeral, glad-handing each other. Yeah. Like, they're smiling and shaking hands. Like, Barzini's like, this is great. Like, we've done it. We've won. <laughs> That's why Michael wins. Not because he's like... Uh, you know, like all the other movies, like I'm going to be the toughest boss because I'm going to kill all the other guys. That's not the strategy. The strategy is essentially surgical strike, sneak attack, yeah. simultaneity, plausible deniability, looking like I'm not a threat because I'm at a baptism. So it's it's a genius strategy, not a like, cause again, the scene, do you renounce saying everything? It's like, oh, Michael's so tough. That's not it. He's winning because he's smart, not because he yeah. is killing everybody. But John, at the cost of his soul. <laughs> it's not entirely subtle, but I do love that. It's like, do you run yeah, Satan? And do you? I like the fact that the oh. mass was still in Latin. Yep. Another throwback. Yeah. Well, and uh, what I what I love about that is the the organ. <laughs> it's not subtle. Oh, yeah, no, the organ. The organ is <laughs> no, but it's, it's operatic. I mean, that's what I love about it. Is yeah. It's not subtle oh, yeah. at all. But it's yeah. so as the last, the the final piece of this film. Three hours we've spent, and here it is. He is completely becoming the godfather of this family. He is finishing the family business. The organ is playing. We're in the we're in the Catholic church. He's being asked to renounce Satan. There's Latin. It's all just you know <laughs> heightened and 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 that's what makes it so great. I think is that it is so operatic and. And huge that this is all happening simultaneously. So many of the small of the other moments in the three hours preceding were so small. Like we said, like the opening is just a guy listening to a local undertaker ask him for help with his daughter's abusive boyfriend or whatever. And and a scene like the the most exciting scene in the movie up until now is uh, a guy and a nurse in a hospital moving an old man's bed, right? But it's super exciting. But it's all these little things, and then it just all pays off with true, you know, a truly uh, fire. It's it's fireworks at the end of the day at Disney World. Yeah, 
And Mo Green is in this sequence, by the way. We we got a sequence where Mo Green is one of the one that get that gets whacked. Because again, it's got to be simultaneous. All all why this is going, and every one of the little assassinations is clever and interesting. It's not just like you know they have the guy disguised as a cop who like picks him off from a distance. He's got his best marksman on that one. He's got the guy who traps him in the revolving door. Oh yeah. You got the people in the elevator. You got Clemenza going up the stairs and huffing it because he's out of breath going up the stairs. You got the guy shot in bed with the the woman. Like everyone dies in a different, specific, appropriate way. The, you know the A team is on this job everyone who needs to be you know the, all, all the best people mm-hmm. are, yeah. are getting the people i don't they didn't synchronize their watches that we saw but i feel like they should have synchronized their watches in uh, clemenza <laughs> plays a huge role in this film uh in in paulie's death and uh in part of this execution of, of the events here but also it, it, when he uh, uh says hi to carlo and and puts the, the garrote around uh, uh uh carlo's neck mm-hmm. inside of the car uh it, you know it's He's he's an effective member of the family, even though he had tried to suggested that he was going to willing to pull away because he didn't agree with Michael uh, part of the way through the film. And that all that leaves us is uh, the this last scene where I I had forgotten this, but the uh, the they've sold the estate to developers. There's a there's a for sale and sold sign and the movers are there and the and Vito's estate where we where we started this movie is now being everything's being removed from it and it's going to be presumably it's going to be destroyed turned into higher density housing or something a developer has bought it and uh, so it's the end of an era it really is and we see Connie and she's mad at Mike um, and because her you know because her husband who is awful but he's de- he's dead now and and Kay is there <laughs> and it's like that's your husband that's your husband and we get the that amazing moment where he's like I don't talk business with you Kay I'm not going to talk business with you, with you and then he says okay one time this one time you can ask me and she says is it true and he says no, it's not true. He lies to he her. Raises his, he raises his voice to her before that. It's the first time he raises right. his voice to her. He gets, he gets angry in a way that we will see more of in the next movie and then calms down at this one time. Because he's smart. Because he knows, I, I, don't, I can't sustain this line of questioning indefinitely. I need to make it go away in a way that she will consider plausible. So he's got to convince her before he says anything that I'm going to tell you the truth this one time. So that's the precedent for the future that I'm not going to talk to you about this. But for now, I just want to let you know. And of course, by the second movie, that is that strategy has totally fallen apart and corroded and eaten the heart out of their marriage. So maybe not a good play, but you know, <laughs> it, it plays out as the as the final tragedy of, of, of Michael and Kay in this movie. I mean, that's the end of the movie, the door closing on her. It is it is a fairly dark ending in which... Yeah. They're not ending by saying, and Michael is victorious, and he's become the new godfather, and everything will be okay. And that movie ends with a door closing on Kay's face, this, yeah. saying, yeah. things aren't going to be okay. And if you were rooting for this guy for the whole movie, you may have another thing coming. Stay tuned for part two. Well, now, and he's in the dark room where we started in, mm-hmm. right? He's in the dark room doing the business while the family's outside, even though they're moving out of this place. And the last line of the movie is Don Corleone to Michael. Yeah. yeah. They all, they all yeah. kiss the ring. Yeah. And that's it. He has now assumed the the role of his father, and uh, and he he's the Godfather now. Wow, yeah, it's a great ending. It's it's just the whole thing, really, from when Vito dies on is just one thing after another for that last whatever it is twenty minutes, thirty minutes. It's amazing. 
All right. Well, that's the end of The Godfather. Godfather will return in. <laughs> <laughs> For your eyes, no. So uh, before we uh, before we go, just some, I'm going to go around and ask anybody for some final thoughts about this. I assume everybody loves this movie. It's a pretty amazing movie. I am reminded every time I watch it about how great a movie it is. It's People talk about it as a great movie. But it, and then I watch it. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I don't come away thinking, why do people like this movie? I'm like, no, I see... <laughs> I see why people like this movie, but I'll, I'll go around and ask all my panelists for one last uh, last uh, set of thoughts about The Godfather. David, what do you what do you have? It's you know, it, it it's kind fine, of I guess yeah, it's okay. No, it it's you know you usually you'll see like those those surveys of film critics or surveys of film buffs, and you know sometimes Citizen Kane is number one, sometimes The Godfather is number one. You know it it fluctuates it's it's usually in the top five at least of of just greatest films ever made and that's that is legitimate it is operatic but not oppressively so you really get to know these people and that's what makes the tragedy hit home i mean it's not it's not like watching a real opera with you know these outsized things these are these are human beings and it's just it's so well made and I don't, I don't know that, like I said, you know, he was, he was an experimental filmmaker at that point. I don't know that a more traditional Hollywood director of the period would have been able to pull it off this way. Joe, what do you think? Uh, I also really like it. And like David said, it's, it's one of those movies that's always on lists of great movies. Uh, and fortunately, it's one of the ones that I'm like, oh, yes, I like watching that one. Uh, because there, there's some <laughs> lists of great movies that have, that have some real things that can't hold my interest uh-huh. quite as well as this movie can. Uh, it is a long film, so I don't usually partake in watching it uh, th- several times throughout the year, but uh, it is it is nonetheless a masterpiece. And uh, I, you got to praise again Gordon Willis's cinematography, uh, his, his choices and his decision-making in this. Um, if anyone's interested, just go back through and watch it and just pause on any frame uh, and just, just watch how the shot is composed. Like, you know, Waltz's Dinner, where we get that shot from the staircase down through the doorway. And so it's not quite centered, but you just frames the shot within another frame. It, 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 it's, it's really great just to deconstruct the film. If you just sit there and watch it. But, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I got the chance to talk about it with everybody else. It's a, it's a really fantastic film. John Gruber. What, uh, what, what are your final thoughts about the Godfather? We haven't even mentioned the music. I mean, oh, the music yeah. is amazing. Oh, yeah. Nino Rota. It's so, it, every time, I mean, there are so many different themes that are that are so notable from this. But it's just, you know, it's just another one of these things that ties so many of these 70s era, this, that whole group of filmmakers together, you know, with, with Spielberg and, and the, all the great collaborations with John Williams. Just you name the Spielberg movie with the Star Wars theme with, the, you know, eventually the Raiders of the Lost Ark theme. And the Godfather, the, the music, the theme song, all the music through the movie, mm-hmm. it's, it's just inextricable from the you, – you can't even imagine what the movie would be like without it it's it's so it it's just essential i mean it just gets it's, to why it's, it's iconic right it's just like you said it's like i think it was david said that you know you could just list the reasons to like a movie is it the story is it the characters is it the acting is it the cinematography is it the editing is it the music you just name all of these various art forms that go into making a movie and they're all like a plus yeah it's, it's yeah unbelievable 
And it, it always, every time I watch it, it's, it's every single time I see it, especially if, you're, if it happens to be on TV or something, it's like, it just sucks you in. It's like the, the, the channel up button breaks on your remote and you just you <laughs> can't right. go past it. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what part you get into it. Yeah. Just throw the remote behind the couch and forget it. Right. We're watching this. Yeah. John Syracuse? These types of movies, these gangster movies set in this era with filled with, a, you know, Italian-American organized crime have a special place in my heart for the seemingly silly but absolutely real reason that the people in the movie look like people in my family, talk like them, do the things that they did. They're, they're, they are where I grew up, essentially, on Long Island. And it feels ho- feels like home, <laughs> but obviously... I'm not from an organized crime family, so it is a it is a it is a fantasy version of things that I'm familiar with, and so it it always is close to my heart. And I feel like uh, sometimes I think, is this making me like this movie more than someone who doesn't share exactly the heritage of all these people in the movie? Like, is there a connection that I'm making that they're not? And maybe maybe not, but in this case, the case of The Godfather, and I think of Goodfellas as well. These are just great movies flat out, and I feel like I'm getting like the extra boosted enjoyment of it because it is so familiar. And I remember being excited as a kid to see, not that, you know, like you see every movie was had a bunch of white guys in it, right? But to specifically see people from, it's like when you're excited that a movie is set in Cleveland because you're from Cleveland, right? And lots of movies aren't. This, these movies always spoke to me on, on sort of a deep level and made me think about like, like this movie is the more romantic version, and then Goodfellas. This is like you think it's all romantic, like The Godfather, which, by the way, The Godfather isn't all that romantic no. once you actually think about it. The Goodfellas is like actually it's pretty horrible, and like so many movies have spoken to this experience, this experience that I never had, but I'm some ways connected to. Um, and watching this movie, every time I watch it, this is my main problem with when I watch this movie is I can never decide whether The Godfather or The Godfather Part Two are better. Or which one is my favorite? Which are two different things. Which one is better and which one is my favorite? I, it occurred to me the other day when I was looking at my letterboxd.com thing where they make you pick your four favorite movies, which is brutal, right? <laughs> and it, some of them are easy, right? But then we get to the slot where I have to pick one of the Godfather movies. There's only one slot left. Like, I've used the other <laughs> slots for, like, Empire Strikes Back and Kiki's Delivery Service and Goodfellas, right? And maybe I'm overloaded on gangster movies, but I feel like that is that is an appropriate reflection of my top ten movies or whatever. I've got to pick one for this slot. And for the life of me, I couldn't remember whether I had picked one or two. I went back to the page, and turns out I picked one. And I think the reason I pick one when I'm thinking about it is because, as we said at the beginning, this is a sealed, complete unit. This movie stands alone on its own as a beautiful, perfect movie. If they had never made a part two, we would still be talking about this movie as an amazing movie. But on the other hand, part two it gets to build on what came before and like empire strikes back doesn't have to waste time establishing who all these things are and is itself a fantastic movie on top of that so i i go back and forth on it constantly and watching it again i feel like i'm going back and forth as well like a little bit after i got to the end of this movie i said you know what godfather part two is more accomplished it has a higher degree of difficulty in what it has to do and it is more slightly more sophisticated movie making but then i say but no this is just a beautiful perfect gem and so that, that's what i feel like i come back to and why i didn't change what i have on my letterbox page godfather part one because despite the increased sophistication and degree of difficulty and excitement and robert de niro-ness of part two um it may be a better movie but i feel like part one part one is just this is just this tiny perfect jewel and always will be now if you had five slots <laughs> I would just put added in. I wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> but then I would have three gangster movies in my top five. Which may say something about me. 
All right. Well, this has been great. Thanks to uh, all of my guests, uh, David and John and John and Joe. Uh, for being here and thanks to everybody out there for listening go watch The Godfather if you haven't lately or ever I can't even imagine that because it is a a justified classic and uh, this has been The Incomparable I've been Jason Snell and we will see you next week bye everybody I've never heard of Kiki's Delivery Service. I had oh. to Google it. Oh, wow. Listen to our podcast. The... We talk about it. Yeah, sometimes. it's great. <laughs> That's a great movie. There's no, there's no bad guy in it. It's, very, it's, not, it's definitely not a gangster movie. I'll put it that way. Kiki is not delivering cannoli, is what I'm saying. Uh, I'm not sure it would be up your alley, but it is definitely <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah. I was shocked that you said that it was a gangster movie and that I'd never heard of it, and it's great, but then I found out that it's Japanese. and, it, and it was... <laughs> Yeah, Kiki's Delivery Service would be a hell of a name for, for a mob movie. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> right. That was the working title for The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs>